0: Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you today? I want to take a quick moment and welcome all of our campuses here at Greenwood at our Banta campus. We welcome you at our Franklin campus. Welcome to you guys They're about ready to move into your new building next month. That's so exciting. And I also want to welcome our online campus, those of you are at home right now watching online and all across the world, people watching over the Internet, we welcome you. Friends in other countries, different states, it's amazing the reach that we have because of the Internet. And so thanks for tuning in. And uh, it's exciting to be here today. Um, it's, it's a rare day. My mom is actually here today. That's pretty crazy. And so she's sitting down front over here. Would you stand up really quick? And Most of you can't see her, and but uh, this is my mom. She's, go ahead, there you go. So, She's awesome. My brothers used to call her the Big R." Her name's Ruth, and so uh, we used to, it's, it's funny because she's only about five, three or so, so she's not that big. But uh, her roar was big. and <clears throat> anyway. I would not be here today without my mom. So, mom, love you, honor you, a special thanks for being here today. Uh, so, so we're in a series right now called the Nudge, and um, I was on vacation. So went on fall break, took my wife on our first ever cruise, which was amazing. And uh, for her birthday, took our kids with us, so it was officially a trip, not a vacation. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Still a great time. Uh, my wife loved it. I, I, you know, two days after the cruise was over, it's so our first cruise ever, I still felt like I was doing this. So not sure if I'm going to go on another one. But <laughs> she had a great time. And that's what matters. Love you. Um, so but so glad that when I go away, you know, Matt Randall did a great job. Didn't Matt do a great job? Aaron Beasley did a great job. <clears throat> in this series. And uh, so today I want to wrap up this series called The Nudge. And really what we've been saying and talking about is the Holy Spirit. You know, we talked about how when we talk about God, it's it's somewhat easy to get our brains wrapped around God as Father. And even Jesus is a little bit, I wouldn't say easy, you know, 100% God, 100% man. It's kind of Complicated, but we can still understand that Jesus lived. He was a historical figure. He died on the cross. Whether or not He rose again, you know, obviously believers, we believe He rose again. Others don't, but we can still get our brains wrapped around Jesus as the Son of God. But the Holy Spirit, hmm, it's confusing. He shows up at the baptism of Jesus in the form of a dove. It's like, ah, oh, he doesn't really say anything. He's, he's there in the, in the beginning and when God created the heavens and the earth, he's like hovering over the waters. We don't really know what he's doing. You know, what, what's his role? And it's so critical for us as believers to know the role of the Holy Spirit and to know what he wants to do because the very quality of our lives depends upon it. In a letter to a bunch of Christians in Galatia, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. In other words, if I follow the Spirit and if you follow the Spirit and allow him to do the work that he wants to do in our lives, the quality of our life is just going to go through the roof. We will actually live or start to live Begin to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give us. So it's so crucial that we understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do and that we cooperate with him and follow him. And so that's what this series has been all about. Today I want to dive into this fourth area that he wants to lead us in or nudge us in. Before we get into that area, let me kind of give a little context of this, this passage we're going to look at today in John chapter 16. Jesus is going back to the Father, and he's been telling his disciples, look, I'm going to die on a cross, I'm going to rise again, and then I'm going to go back to my heavenly Father. And he's been telling them this. He tells them again, and they're very sad. They're sad because they want Jesus to stay with them. So that's kind of the context that Jesus is speaking here in John chapter 16. Let's look at verse 7. It is best for you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. It is best for you. It's the, it's the best thing that I should go away. Now, at this moment, if I were there, let me just pause really quick. If I were one of the disciples in this moment, and Jesus has given me this little pep talk because I'm discouraged, remember, he just told us he's going away. I would have called a timeout. <laughs> this is just my personality. I said, uh, timeout, uh, it's not best for us that you go away. It's not best for us that you go anywhere. We love you. We love when you're here because when you're here, you do really cool stuff. Like you, I've, we saw you walk on water. Like we saw you raise Lazarus from the dead. Like, we saw, we knew he was dead for four days. You come on. You say a couple words. The, the dead guy comes back to life. Don't tell us. Don't tell me, Jesus, that it's best for you to go away. We love, like, we saw it when you turned the water into wine. We saw it when you healed those two blind guys. Like, they, they couldn't see at all. All of a sudden, you, you spit on your hands, and you make some mud, and you put on their eyes, and they can see again. Like, it is not what's best for us is that you stay right where you are. Now, would you have said that? Maybe, maybe you wouldn't have spoken up. I would have spoken up. Time out. What's best for me is that you stay right here with me because you are awesome. Jesus says, nope, I got something better for you. I've got someone better for you. It is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, again, if I'm just an average disciple and I'm sitting there, I, that doesn't really mean much to me. Like, a, who, I don't really know what the advocate, who is the advocate? What's, what's he going to do? How is the advocate, how is the Holy Spirit better for me than your physical presence? Well, we have to understand what this word advocate means. The, ad, the word is the, in the Greek is perikletos. It means a person who will come in and be the comforter the person who will come in and be the instructor. In fact, here's a couple of words in different Bible translations that are used. Comforter, helper, helper and counselor. Depending on the Bible version that you have, NIV, ESV, NLT, or whatever. There's different words used for this word, perikletos, advocate. It ba- essentially, it's someone who comes into the room to give assistance to you, whatever your assistance might be. You need encouragement, he gives you encouragement. You need instruction, he gives you instruction. You need wisdom, he gives you wisdom. You need strength, he gives you strength. He is the helper. And here's essentially what Jesus is saying. Guys, it's better for me to go away because it's better for you to have God with you at all times rather than sometimes. See, if Jesus would have stayed with them, he would have been with them sometimes. He would have been limited by time and location. But if he left, then the, then the advocate can come and take up residence inside of us and be with us 24-7. To do what? To help us in whatever way we needed it. Now evidently, that wasn't enough to change their countenance. Now I don't know that for sure, but you can just imagine they're sitting there like... Wah, 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 wah. You ever did that with a teacher? They were probably doing that to Jesus. Like nothing's better than your physical presence. You can talk all this other stuff about the Holy Spirit we still don't want you to go. How do I know that? I don't, for sure. But he continues to make his argument in the next verse, which probably indicates that they weren't very encouraged by this statement in verse 7. So let's look at verse 8. And also, guys, pay attention. When he comes, he, here's how he's going to help you. He will convict you. How do I know the The word is you. Because the world is, we're not talking about the oceans and the mountains. They haven't done anything wrong. (laughs) He's going to convict you, me, you, everybody in the world, concerning three things. Sin, and righteousness, and judgment. Now that doesn't sound very helpful, does it? I don't think they were like, oh, you cleaned it all up. We're so excited about the advocate coming. Go ahead, Jesus, go away. Go back to the Father. And I don't think it worked because... I don't think they fully understood how exactly this would help them. And maybe you don't either. So let me, let me kind of clear some of this up. The role of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is to come into your life and help you specifically by conviction or through conviction. Now, what does this word conviction mean? Well, it's, it was used in, in Jesus' time for uh, a cross-examiner, when a cross-examiner would come and uh, cross-examine a witness or, or someone who was charged with a crime or something something like that. And, and basically, the cross-examiner would try to bring about or present arguments to bring about a conviction, the way we would use the word today. You were convicted of manslaughter, convicted of this crime, convicted of theft or whatever. And that's what the cross-examiner's job would be, maybe to convince the jury, like based on these set of facts. That's why this person is guilty and they should be charged with theft or whatever the crime is. That's the job of a cross-examiner. That's what the word means. If you're married, you know what this word means. <laughs> Some of you get that. Because inside of a marriage, there is like, now wait a second. You're the one who, right? Hold on, time out, but, what you're, but you're not seeing the whole story. like. The word, the word means to help someone see the whole story or to see a perspective that they hadn't considered before and change their mind and, and, and become convinced. Oh, I was wrong, you're right. A lot of that happens in marriage, hopefully with a lot of love and kindness mixed in between, right? If you have a roommate, you know what this word means. If you're on a team at work, you know what this word means. Well, who messed up? Well, Who's the one that didn't file the paperwork right? Who's the one that didn't get the thing done in time? And who's a if you have a brother or a sister, you understand what this word means, right? If you have a sibling, if you have a dog, you know what this word means. Our dog is a little mini schnauzer, and uh, his name is Buddy. He's, his, his, his life is about half over. Uh, we have mixed emotions about that. Anyway. What he will do sometimes when we leave the home is he will get in the trash can, and then when we get home, there's a surprise for mommy and daddy and everybody on the floor, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's probably our fault for leaving the trash can open, but we're not going to take responsibility for that. It's the dog's fault for getting in the trash, right? Isn't that, isn't that the way it goes? Hashtag adulting. And that, we, we went through that um, series. Okay. So we get home and the trash is on the floor and there's banana peels and there's chip wrappers or whatever it is, there's just trash and he's trying to get in there. And, and so what I end up doing, not all the time, but a lot of times is I bring the dog over to the trash and we, I bring about conviction. <laughs> okay? What have you done? Look at this, right? You don't get in the trash. You know, and, and, and you know, buddy, he's, he's got these dark brown eyes, black eyes, and he kind of looks up, you know he gives you that look and he's just so so precious and and then you know i'll say something like you are a bad dog bad dog don't get in the trash and then he tries to kind of slip away you know he's got he's got his head down like i like you can't see him he's just gonna wander under the table you know and the reason he wants to get out of that scenario is because he is burdened with guilt and shame (laughs) it's true anybody else have a dog right? They are so, it's so heavy. He's got to escape. He's got to move. He's got to get out of there. He's hanging his head. He's, fe- he's feeling horrible about himself, and he should. <laughs> he knows not to get in the trash, and we, you know, and I know some of you are going to send me an email with clo- <laughs> to close it and be a better dog owner. I understand. I can do a better job. My point of that story is that That is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Not exactly. But he wants to convince, he wants to convict me and you in three specific areas. Why? To make us feel bad? To make us feel shameful? No. Remember his role. His role is to lead us into abundant life, life in the kingdom, life with God, a life filled with joy and peace. And there's paths to take in this life, in order to achieve that life. And that is what he is going to nudge us towards. So let's look at the three areas. Number one, he's going to nudge us away from sin. Let's look at the verse. Jesus just said it. The advocate's going to come. I go away. He comes. He's going to do a couple things. He's going to convict you, convince you to move away from sin. It's exactly what Jesus said. Now, i got to be careful when I talk about sin in our culture today. People equate it with the word evil. They are not synonyms. Okay? Sin and evil are not synonyms. Now, if you sin a whole bunch, they could be equated, right? But when I say sin or when Jesus says sin, he's not calling you Adolf Hitler. I'm not calling you Adolf Hitler. I'm not calling you Osama bin Laden. I'm not calling you, you know, I'm not equating you with those people. Neither is Jesus. He's he's just simply saying that sin is a real thing. Now, if you sin a whole bunch, you may be put in the category of Adolf Hitler, but those two are not necessarily equal. Most of us are average run-of-the-mill sinners, you know, like mediocre sinners. <laughs> Some of us are audacious sinners. <laughs> There's a couple of us out there today. But most of us kind of fall, you know, in, in in the in the area of average. Jesus says, Here's what I want, here's what the Spirit's gonna do. He's gonna come into your life, he's gonna convict you of sin. What is sin? If it's not a synonym for evil, then what is it? Well, John helps us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 17. He says, all wrongdoing is sin. The word is unrighteousness. It's breaking of God's laws. It's telling a lie. That's a sin. That's not a mistake. Our culture would love to just say, well, that, he just made a mistake. No, a lie is a sin. That's what, that's what sin is. It's It's an archery term that means you've missed the mark. You picture a target. If you hit the target right in the center, it's perfection. If you miss the target, you sin. You can sin in the area of relationships. You can sin in the area of your sexuality. You can sin in all kinds of areas of your finances. You can sin by holding a grudge. You can sin by becoming jealous of a friend. You can sin by becoming envious. You can sin by over-consuming, right, consumption. You can sin in lots of different ways. It doesn't make you evil, it's just breaking God's laws. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, my mom will remember this. (laughs) In my English class, my English teacher looked like uh, Leslie Nielsen's twin. Remember Leslie Nielsen from Naked Gun? And he would give this ridiculous vocabulary spelling test every Friday, which made me angry, you know, every single Friday. And so it was just a lot of work to memorize, and I don't have a problem memorizing. A lot of you guys probably know that. It's... I just didn't want to do the work, so I decided I would just cheat. It's a simple answer, right? This guy didn't deserve my effort because he's giving us a test every Friday. How about that for a justification to cheat? (laughs) It's the problem with cheating in Mr. Nielsen's class that wasn't his name. The problem with cheating in his class is that my last name ended in A, which put me in the front row. So I really had to be savvy, okay? Okay. And so I made my cheat sheets, and I knew how, I learned how to write really super small, and I knew how to keep the cheat sheet in my hand, spelling, vocabulary, front row. And I would just keep it in my left hand, and anytime time I didn't know an answer, I'd just go, pick up my thumb, look at it real quick. And I had it down pat until one day Mr. Nielsen walks by, and he says to me during the exam, uh, Mr. Anderson, open your left hand. And I was caught. Now, some of you in our world today would say, oh, you're just a teenager. You made a mistake. No, I sinned. That's what sin is. It's cheating. Even in a sophomore English class, it's a sin. And why would the Holy Spirit lead me, lead you away from cheating, stealing, or doing anything that is outside of God's law? Why would he do that? And here's the simple reason. Because sin will eventually ruin your life. Maybe not right away. See, I had been cheating up to, up to that point here and there in bits and pieces, and I I'd never got caught. Some of you right now are doing some cheating on your spouse, or cheating on some taxes, or cheating in certain ways, or stealing, or taking, or treating people wrong, or holding grudges, or you know, looking at some pornography, or doing some things with your sexuality that's outside of God's laws or boundaries, and you're like, I'm fine, dude. My life isn't ruined. So you're just marching on, going, going, going. And I'm here to tell you today, and the Spirit of God is here to tell you today, that eventually that sin will catch up to you and it'll ruin your life. Here's what Robbie Zacharias said. Sin will, and I would add the word eventually, sin will eventually take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Just ask King David. Some of you grew up in Sunday school, so you know the story. He's on, he's on his rooftop one day, and he sees a naked woman bathing. Her name is what? Her name is Bathsheba. Why she was on the roof bathing naked, we have no idea. That's another story for another day. But she was on her roof bathing naked. David sees her. He's the king. He's like, oh, I got, a, I got about a window of about an hour. Let me have some pleasure with this woman. So he gets his assistance. They run over to her castle or wherever she was living, and she comes over and they sleep together. Just a little bit of sin, no problem. A little bit of pleasure, one hour tops, right? Little does he know she's going to get pregnant. Sin will take you further than you want to go. He just thought it was this little, 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 little sex, a little bit of pleasure on the side. She gets pregnant. Well, now he's got to cover this deal up. So what does he do? Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He's on the battlefield fighting for David in his army. Comes up with this plan, I'll get Uriah to come back, and you know, they'll, I'll get them to hook up, and, and they'll sleep together. And then Uriah will think that the baby is his, and Uriah doesn't, doesn't fall for it. David resorts to plan B, I'm going to get him drunk. I'll get Uriah drunk and have him go home and sleep with Bathsheba. He's got too much honor, too much integrity. He's got more integrity than the king does. He says, how can I sleep with my wife when I've got men on the battlefield fighting for the kingdom? So David has to resort to plan C, which is to kill him. So a little bit of pleasure results in murder. David goes, Uriah goes back to the battlefield. David puts him on the front lines where the, where the battle is fierce. <clears throat> and he's killed. Covers up the pregnancy. God sees the whole thing. But God always, remember this, <clears throat> God always sees the whole thing. The penalty, part of the penalty is the baby's going to die. So the baby dies. Bathsheba gives birth. The baby dies. But it doesn't stop there. The prophet, <clears throat> the prophet Samuel says, From now on, David, the sword will never leave your family. And so what happens? David's son rapes David's daughter Tamar. David's other son, Absalom, gets so angry at this son that he kills his brother. Then Absalom decides he wants to be the next king, so tries to overtake the whole kingdom. In the process of Absalom trying to overtake the kingdom, Absalom is killed. David loses three people. <clears throat> For what? Little bit of sin. Bathsheba taking a bath and about an hour of pleasure. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will most certainly, in the long run, cost you more than you want to pay. So what is the spirit of God going to do? He's going to nudge you away from it. I'm so glad that I got caught cheating in high school in Mr. Nielsen's class. Number two, number two. The Spirit of God will nudge you towards righteousness. This isn't just about avoiding sin. It's about doing the right thing. He will nudge you towards the right paths. That's what righteousness is. The right ways to go through your life. Listen to what Jesus said, 16.8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness in matthew chapter 6 verse 33 in the sermon on the mount which basically is a list of all the right paths to take concerning fear and worry and how to people treat treat people who've wronged you how to handle your sexuality how to handle relationships the sermon on the mount is wonderful when it comes to figuring out the paths of righteousness in that sermon jesus says this seek first the kingdom of god not heaven Right? We think, that, we think that's what the kingdom of God is. No. The, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God has come close now. So the kingdom is life with God right now. Seek that. Partner up with God. Live with God right now. Not only his kingdom, but his righteousness. And then all these other things, food, clothing, shelter, money, relationships, whatever it is, that stuff will be added unto you. The right path. See, the world has a way to deal with money. And then God has a way to deal with money. The world has a way to do sexuality. Then God has a way to do sexuality. The world has a way to treat your enemies and those who have hurt you. And God has a way to treat your enemies and those who have hurt you. And, and, and all, all the Holy Spirit's going to do is going to say, let's not do things the world's way. Let's do things God's way. Those are the paths of righteousness. And it will lead you to eternal life and abundant life. My favorite psalm is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Look at verse 3 with me. He leads me. That's what he's going to do. The Spirit is going to lead me in paths of, say it with me, righteousness. Not for my name's sake, not for my glory, but for his name's sake, so that he can be honored, so that he can be seen as a great king and a great God. Listen, I'm telling you. There's some of you here today. I know it for a fact. You're doing things the wrong way. You're not taking the paths of righteousness, and the Spirit is trying to get your attention right now. He's saying, "Let's quit that. The stealing, the cheating, the fudging, the 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 the, the, the grudges, the jealousy, the envy, the over whatever the, sec, the 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 private sexual stuff you got going. Let's move away from that and go to it. And are you listening? Are you listening today? Why is, he, why is he doing that to you? Because he wants you to feel shameful or guilty? No, he wants life for you. Eternal and abundant life. So number one, he's going to nudge you away from sin. Number two, he's going to nudge you towards righteousness. And then number three, this, the Holy Spirit will nudge you to keep your judgment in mind. We don't talk about this a lot, and have to be careful... Because some of you have grew up in churches where it was a hellfire and brimstone type atmosphere. You know, where the, pe- the preacher tried to scare the hell out of you every Sunday. <laughs> you know, and his veins are popping out of his head. And he's saying, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. That sort of stuff. So I want to be careful. I want to be careful because I don't believe that. However, Jesus said this in verse 16, uh, verse 8, chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict, he will convince the world, me and you, concerning sin and righteousness and, say it with me, Judgment. We live in a world today. I don't, people don't. People don't think they're going to answer for their lives. That's why people walk into synagogues and movie theaters and schools and they open fire. Well, we live in a culture in a world today where, from from the time our kids are very small to the time they graduate high school and then on into college, they're taught that we're a product of evolution, that we're really evolved monkeys that evolved from tadpoles. And there is no God. Don't worry about it. You don't have to answer for your life. It's all one big explosion. It's a mistake. But God didn't create the heavens and the earth. That's a myth from, a, from an old book. Well, you, you have a culture like that, of decades of teaching like that, and people have no fear of God, no fear that they're going to give an account of their life. Their actions have no consequences. And so today in our world, in our country alone, 724 out of every 100,000 Americans are incarcerated. Those are just the ones that have gotten caught. Over 2.3 million Americans are in jail right now. People not even thinking about the consequences of their actions or stealing or hurting or shooting or killing or what. It just says, there's no account. No one's going to judge me. The Bible says something very different, and the Spirit is going to remind us of something very different. He's going to use the Word of God to do it. Hebrews chapter 9. And just as each person is destined to die once, No such thing as reincarnation, folks. You go through one life and you die once. And after the death, what comes? Your judgment. You'll meet God. You'll give an account of your entire life. Paul wrote it a different way in the book of Romans, chapter 14. For we will all stand before, say it with me, the judgment seat of God. Every one of us. Our, our life will be laid out in front of us and we'll be judged for all the things we did do and all the things we didn't do. Am I trying to scare you? No. The Spirit of God is trying to instruct you. There is a judgment. People who have no fear of God, they live any way they want to live. How do I know that? Look at Psalm 36. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked, the sinfulness of evil people in this world, people that just do whatever they want to do. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They do not believe they'll give an account of their life. It's like they do whatever they want to do. And the spirit of God is not going to allow you to go that direction. He's going to remind you time and time again, all of your actions, all of your behavior will be judged. I'll never forget when I was uh, being very rambunctious with my brothers growing up. Uh, and it would have to be pretty bad for it to get this way. My mom would say to me, "Just wait till your father gets home." You remember that? <laughs> she said many times. I didn't think it was that many times, but sorry, mom. Um, and then my dad would get home, and, and 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 he would, you know, hear whatever, and and he would say something like this: "Like, go get my belt." You know, not all the time, but he had a belt that hung on the back of the door. And, and you know, he, every now and then he would just get it out and he would crack that whip. And we would, and when that, that just that sound, I can still hear it. Anybody else have a dad with a belt? Okay. And I'm not saying he would use it on us that much. Oh, I don't even remember if he did or didn't, maybe, maybe a couple of times. But just the idea. Just the idea. My mom would bring up the idea that my dad was coming home. And that idea... Of judgment healthy fear okay okay I'm I'm good mom no no no, I'm okay (laughs) didn't want to face the consequences of my behavior my my daughter is in a play right now um, the lion the witch in the wardrobe the chronicles of Narnia and if you've read the first book the the the, I love the way it ends C.S. Lewis had an incredible way of capturing the character God through children's stories it's amazing The beaver is talking to Susan. My daughter's playing Susan in the play today. She's doing a great job. The beaver says to Aslan, uh, to Susan, Aslan is a lion. Of course, Aslan is Jesus, right? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, Susan says, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said the beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He is a king. He is the king. I love that passage. Because it both instills an understanding that what we're dealing with when we deal with God is not someone that we can always cuddle up next to and he just always just is tender and merciful and always forgiving and always looks the other way. Our God is tremendously forgiving and graceful. Thank God he is, right? And then there's a side of him that is like a consuming fire. He is not safe but he's good. There's a healthy fear there, and the Spirit of God right now in this moment is taking you somewhere you've never been. Some of you, you've never thought about God that way before. There is an account, and that shouldn't scare you. That should make you wiser and should make you think through your actions and how you treat people because we will give an account for our entire lives. You with me, yes or no? Making sense? What is, it, what is the advocate going to do? He's going to help us. How is he going to help us? He's going to convict us and convince us of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. If you let him lead your life, it is going to go very differently. So here's my question. Will you let him influence you? He's going to nudge you. Like this whole series is about he will nudge you, but will you let him influence you? I would encourage you to do what the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians and, and the Christians in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit. What does that mean to quench? It means to say no. He's trying to nudge you, and you're like, I'm not going there. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to move towards reconciliation. I'm not going to move towards truth. I'm not going to move away from this sin. I like this sin too much. I'm not going to do things your way. I like to do it my way. That is quenching the spirit. You can sum up a successful, victorious Christian life this way, not quenching the spirit, listening to him. Following his nudges, will you let him influence you? If the answer is yes, my second question is this, how? Like, how? Where is he trying to take you? Last week, Aaron gave a talk on reconciliation. The spirit's going to nudge us towards, towards peace and harmony. A friend of mine, <clears throat> I didn't really know this. I should have known it, I guess, but he had something against me for months. And he was sitting in the talk last Saturday, and Aaron was talking about how the Spirit wants to bring us back together. and So after the service, I get this text message. I was driving back from Florida. Hey, man, I just want to let you know I've been holding a grudge against you for so long, and, you know, I want to reconcile that and ask for your forgiveness. And, and I wasn't about to do something like that over text message, so I was like, we, we, need, to, we need to face-to-face this deal. So yesterday morning, we got together, and worked through some stuff and apologies were made and forgiveness was asked for and received on both sides and there was reconciliation why well it was because my friend last Saturday night heard the message and he took action in a specific way how will you take action Did you move to, did the Holy Spirit last week try to nudge you towards reconciliation and you quenched him by saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. They they are the offender. How? This is, this is the Christian life. It's listening and following, listening and following, letting him influence, influence us in specific ways because the spirit is trying to lead us into abundant life and eternal life. It's like a handoff. The ball is now handed off to you. you got to take it and you got to run with it and score a touchdown. Like this guy right here. <laughs> you got to run with it. you got to go with it. Will you do it? Let me close the service today by saying this. There's some of you here today. What you need is to step into a relationship with God. And the only thing that's stopping you today is sin. Sin prevents us from being in a relationship with God because God is holy. And sin and God don't mix. It's like oil and water. And that's why God the Father sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die on a cross for you. To rise again the third day so that you can be in a relationship with God. You need forgiveness. You need grace. Will you step into a relationship with God today? This is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It's beautiful. It means in the last 10 seconds, if you understood what I said about being in a relationship with God and believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he did that for you so you can have the forgiveness of sins, if you understood that, it's because the Holy Spirit allowed you to understand it. He opened up your heart and mind. He convicted you that, yes, you are a sinner. He convinced you that, yes, Jesus is the answer. And that's happened to so many of us here. If it's happening to you right now, whether you're watching online or at one of our campuses, don't quench him. Don't quench him. Step in, trust him, put your faith in Jesus. Call him Lord today, declare him Lord today because the Holy Spirit is nudging you to do so. I promise you he's gonna take you on the ride of your life. If you'd like to pray that simple prayer right now, just go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head and take these words and make them your own. Say this to him, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying in my place. For paying the price for my sin. I trust you today. I declare you to be my Lord. Wash me of my sin. Cleanse me. And teach me from this day forward to follow your spirit into truth, to invest my life into people, to be reconciled and pursue peace, and to move away from sin and towards righteousness, and to live with an awareness of my judgment. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, if you prayed to receive Christ today, we would love to get you started with a new believer's Bible. We have them available to you in the back of the auditoriums here. If you prayed that prayer online, you're watching, there's a little box there that you can check that says, I accepted Christ, I trusted Christ. Put your address in there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. I talked to a couple of ladies this last week, and they said, hey... Uh, can we get one of those Bibles? And I said, how come you didn't go back and get one? And they were like, oh, we were too shy, and we didn't want to go back there. Listen, these are my friends back there. Don't be shy. If you've trusted Christ today, just go back, ask them for one of these. They'll put one in your hands today. One more time, can we give God glory? (laughs) Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would set a fire down deep in our soul that we can't contain and that we can't control. We want more of you, God. We want more of your influence in our life. Help us and teach us not to quench you when you're trying to lead us away from the sin, the envy, the jealousy, the coveting, the the lust. Help us to know that the reason you're nudging us away from those things is because you're, you're pushing us towards righteousness. Abundant life and eternal life, a life that is filled with purpose and meaning and joy and a sense of peace and contentment in our life. Help us to trust you that that's what you're doing. Help us to lean into you and follow your nudges and follow your leadership and to let you guide our lives every single day. We want more of you, God. We want more of your influence in our life. We love you. We thank you for this series. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here, for working in our hearts and our minds. We we ask that you would work even more. We pray this in the awesome, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.